Biblical counseling has generally been part of a two-tier system within our local churches. You know what a two-tier system is, right? It's those who can counsel and those who cannot. The average Biff the Pew sitter on Sunday morning would more than likely recommend a counselor to someone than offer counsel to them. This is a big issue, and I want to deal with it in this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Your Daily Drive. I want to make a case in this podcast that everybody who is a Christian is not only a biblical counselor, but they must be doing the work of biblical counseling. And so I want to give you a test in this podcast. I've titled it as such. Take the Am I a Counselor test. That's how you can find it on our website. That's how you can read this article that I'm sharing with you. Take the Am I a Counselor test. I would love for you to read this. I have a lot of internal links also attached to this article, and you can read those as well. And as always, if you have a question about this, Well, please come to our ministry and ask your question, and that would be fantastic. We have free community forums for anyone in the world who has access to the Internet, and you can jump on and ask your question. That would be great. If you are a supporting member of our ministry, I want you to go to our private forums and ask your questions there and we'd be glad to serve you about this idea of discipleship or perhaps you have something else that you want to talk about it doesn't matter this is what we do we are a 24 7 shop we're in cyberspace we're easily accessed and so let us know what your questions are and we would be glad to serve you now i am aware that there could be wisdom in referring a person to someone more trained in the art of discipleship i get that everybody is different nobody is created equal with anyone else we all have our our own narratives we're We're shaped differently. We have different capacities, gift mixes, training, giftings, etc. We're all the same as far as image bearers. There is no body who is better than any other individual. God made us equal that way. But yet we are diverse too as far as our gifting is concerned. And so that does mean that there will be people that will come to you from time to time who have problems that are more complex than your ability to help them. That's okay. But here's the thing. It should never be a foregone conclusion that we should farm out all situational difficulties, all people problems to so-called professionals. Now that should not be a foregone conclusion When Paul talked about this idea of discipleship, he had a singular focus that continually drilled down into every Christian's responsibility to bring sanctification care to each other. I remember a number of years ago, I had an elderly elderly lady come to me, and she had a dust-up with someone in our local church, and she said, Rick, I was the counseling guy at our church which is not a title that I would give myself. 
just let me make a caveat here. If you're developing a counseling ministry in the local church, you don't want to be the counseling guy, or you want to be careful how you communicate your worldview of counseling because people people will automatically build that two-tier system in their minds to where you're the one that does all the counseling and they can sit in the stands as you're doing the work of discipleship. And so I was leading the counseling ministry in this local church. This lady knew that. She had a dust-up with another older lady. So what did she do? She came to me and said, Rick, I had a dust-up with my friend and I need for you to go talk to her. I asked her what part of the word go in the Great Commission was confusing to her. Now, I had a relationship with her, and so I framed it just like that. She knew what I was saying, but she didn't want to hear what I was saying, because what I was saying is you need to go, and you need to settle this thing. You need to work it out. You don't need me. My children have heard me say this a zillion times when they come to me with their problems, they have to work it out. Now, if these two ladies couldn't work it out, well, then perhaps they would need to come to me, take it up a grade level, and then we could work it out. So she heeded my advice, and she went to this other older lady, and they worked it out. She came back a day or two later and said, Rick, everything's fine. We talked about it, and it's all good she was doing what Paul said that we should be doing. It's every Christian's responsibility to bring sanctification care to each other. Paul presumed Christian soul care happened at home, in the community, in the local church. Wherever we are, we are doing the work of discipleship. If you want to use the term biblical counseling, that's fine, as long as you're counseling biblically. But this is how he said it in Romans 15, 14. He said, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. You see the three big working parts in this sentence that Paul gives us in 1514 of Romans. He says, you're full of goodness. This is what God is doing to us after we are born again. He is filling us with goodness. That's one way of saying he's making us more and more Christ-like. But Paul says we're filled with goodness. The second thing, we're filled with knowledge. He's talking about God's Word here. And so as we're growing in knowledge, we're being filled with goodness. The third thing, the conclusion is, he says, we're able to instruct one another. If you're growing in goodness and being filled with knowledge, you're able to instruct one another. And Paul says, I am satisfied that you all can do this. We build our lives upon what we know about God, filled with knowledge, growing in our understanding of God's Word. You always want to be filling yourself with the knowledge of God's Word. But what has happened in many of our local churches is that there has been a compromise in our ability to transfer or to export what we know about God, the knowledge that we have to the next generation. Now, this problem that I'm speaking of is not primarily, I'm not talking about the seeker who comes through the doors on Sunday mornings, who doesn't know God or knows very little about God. The issue for you and me is believers who have been in the church for a while 
who do not know how to export God's word practically to the next generation. Let me be a little more specific, a little more direct, that we do not know how to walk a person through counseling issues. What if you made it personal? Let me ask you a straightforward question here. Can you counsel? To frame it more biblically, can you disciple a person through a situational difficulty? Let me give you two illustrations of this. Are you able to walk a person through an addiction? Here's another one. Are you equipped to counsel a teen through her hostility toward her parents? I am asking if you are a disciple maker. Paul says that you are if you are a Christian. What I'm not asking you is if you can sing or play an instrument at your local church. I'm not asking you if you can run the video or sound equipment at your local church meetings. I'm not asking you if you can facilitate the games at your youth meetings. All these things have their place. All of these things are good in their place. But at the end of the day, the music will stop. The video will fade to black. And the games will be over. And the more crucial question, the abiding question, the one that will never go away, can you do what Paul was fully confident the church in his day could do? If you can't do this, meaning if you can't counsel another person, ultimately you or I will not be able to be any good to anyone the struggling soul may like us, that person who needs our discipleship care. They may like us. They may be your best friend. They may think that we're cool. They may be crazy in love with our church. But if we cannot counsel them through their problems, our Christianity is no better than the answers provided by our culture Friends, we can do better than this. We can provide better answers than what our culture provides because we are biblical counselors. The point of everything that we do is transformation. The whole point of the gospel is transformation. Christ came to change us. He came to do the Father's will, which was a divine rescue of his fallen image bearers. We were broken because of Adam's sin. Everyone who is born is fallen, totally depraved. Christ, the gospel, came to impose himself in our lives. The Lord was acutely aware of our condition, so he made a plan to deliver us from ourselves now, this process that I'm describing to you, you could sum it up in two words of what Christ is doing, what he desires to do for us. Those two big doctrinal words are salvation and sanctification. This first word, salvation, is the first step in the Lord's transformation. It just means being saved, becoming a Christian, being born a second time, being regenerated, being adopted, being justified. All of those are fancy words that describe this idea of becoming a Christian, being born again. As Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, 7, Marvel not that I said to you, you must be born again. 
That is the first big word, and that is the starting point in this transformation process. But then there's a second step. The process continues until we arrive in heaven. Salvation doesn't change you in the way that you need to be changed. Salvation is what gets you into the house, so to speak. It gets you into the family. It secures your seat in heaven. You're truly saved, and you can never lose that. But there is a process after you get into the house, after you are born a second time, after you are adopted in the family, and that is called sanctification. It is a progressive, gradual transformation into Christ's likeness. You could think about the things that I've said thus far in, in three different categories. The goal, the work, and the calling. The goal for all Christians is to experience transformation into Christ-likeness. That is the goal. And so as you are looking at an individual, they're in the starting blocks on a racetrack. They've been born again. They are Christians, and they look down the track uh, to the tape at the, end of the, at the end of the track, the goal for them is to experience Christ's likeness. So that's the goal as they look down the track. Now the work that brings about this transformation, that moves them down the track, that's called disciple-making. And so you progressively, you come alongside them and help them to progressively change into Christ's likeness. That's the work. The calling, the individuals who are supposed to do this, is every Christian. And so the goal is transformation into Jesus. The work is called disciple-making. And the calling is that it's every Christian's responsibility. Now you see this idea in the Great Commission, or what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Jesus said these words, and this is what I said to the older lady that came to me with the dust up with her friend. Jesus said, go, therefore, and make disciples. You remember what I said? I asked her, what part of go is confusing to you? Go, therefore, and make disciples. And so I was asking her, you go and you do disciple-making. You talk to your friend, you work through the dust up, and you mature together. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Our ministry focuses on this aspect of the Great Commission more than anything else, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We are a practicalization of the gospel ministry as we, we teach people how to disciple others, how to bring the gospel to bear practically in an individual's life. For whatever reason, I, I'm not sure why, but the Lord decided to use the agency of humankind as part of his plan to make people into the likeness of his son. That is a divine mystery to me. I don't know why God would pick me to help people. I don't know why God would pick you to help people to transform into the likeness of Christ. But that's what he did. It is a privilege as well as an amazing and sobering responsibility. Every man Every woman, every child who is a follower of Christ is called to invest themselves in the soul care of others. 
If you hear nothing else from this podcast, I want you to hear that sentence and never forget it. Every man, woman, and child who is a follower of Christ is called to invest themselves in the soul care of others. The work of soul care has several synonyms. It doesn't, honestly, it doesn't matter. You can call it discipleship, mentoring, counseling, one anothering, coaching, equipping. There's other labels that you could probably think of, but all of these synonyms consist of two main parts. There's a formula here that leads to biblical maturity. And the formula is this. Here are the two parts that lead to biblical maturity. Part one, Bible knowledge. You cannot be mature in Christ if you don't know anything about the Bible. I think that is obvious. And so you must have Bible knowledge. But if you have Bible knowledge alone, well, you could be intelligent. You could be smart about the Bible. You could also be arrogant, as Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And so we know that Bible knowledge by itself is good, but it also can be problematic. And so you need another part. And so part one is Bible knowledge. Part two is the application of Bible knowledge. And so if you take these two main things, that leads to Christian maturity. Bible knowledge plus the application of Bible knowledge. The fundamental tenet of discipleship is the application of God's Word into our lives. That is what discipleship is. It's taking Bible knowledge and it's connecting it to somebody's life practically. And that is the hardest part of discipleship, becoming adept, becoming excellent in applying Bible knowledge in practical and reasonable ways in a person's life. This struggle is one of the reasons most churches have more Bible studies than Bible application classes. Learning about the Bible, learning Bible facts, learning Bible stories is more straightforward Honestly, it's easier to do than applying the Bible in a messy life. The average Christian learns proportionately more about the Bible than he learns how to live it out in their day-to-day lives practically. Counseling or discipleship is the practical application of God's Word in a person's life right where he is living and struggling today. There are times when the discipler may need to teach Bible knowledge. There are some people who, they just come into Christianity. They, they have just become believers, and so they don't have this foundation. They don't have part one. They don't have Bible knowledge. They don't know much about the Bible. Therefore, your discipleship not only consists of application, But you have to build a foundation first, and so you do teach Bible knowledge to them because they just haven't had much association with Christianity. But even if this teaching is needed, the discipler is always aware how the person needs much more than the knowledge that you are giving them. The authentic transformation of a soul will not happen to any person if they do not go beyond what they know about the Bible. They must practicalize their knowledge of the Bible and custom fit it to who they are 
and how they live. A sanctification breakdown or a general dysfunction in a person's life, it can fly under the radar for many years. You could have your average Christian in your average local church and you have interacted with them or you know of them for decades. And you never realize how they're living dysfunctionally, for example, in the home or in the marriage. They can fly under the radar. They attend all the Bible studies. They can spout off all the Bible facts. They listen to all the sermons. They can talk intelligently about God's Word. And you never discern or never discover that they have a significant discipleship problem in their lives until they have a relational conflict. It's when they have a relational conflict, when that arises, that's when you begin to see that this person has not been discipled well. They have not been applying the Bible to their lives. They've been growing in Bible information. They've been learning all the facts, but they have not been living it out practically, and you didn't know that until there was that, this, this relational conflict and typically, where you'll find this conflict is in one of two areas. The conflict will be between the parents and the children. And so the way that would happen is that the children become teenagers now because the parents could always control and manage the kids when they were very young. And now the teenagers are independent, uh, growing in their own independent lives and living the way they want to. And, and now the parents and the children are in conflict with each other. Another area where you'll find relational conflict is between husbands and wives. Now, the reason these two contexts are ripe for dysfunction is that these are long-term contexts where fallen people cannot escape from each other. Anytime you put people in long-term context with other sinners, you will find out if they know how to live out the Bible or not. Too many people in these situations do not have the tools they need to live peacefully with each other. They may know their Bibles, but they can struggle with how to apply the truths from their Bibles to their lives. And the call is upon the church. When I say the church, I'm not talking about the preacher only. I'm not talking about the small group leaders or the elders or the deacons exclusively. I'm talking about, when I say the church, I'm talking about every individual within that local assembly. The call is upon that local body to teach each other how to be Christ-centered companions rather than coexisting combatants. This responsibility is our calling. There are other many aspects of the church that are excellent, and I'm not downplaying them here. For example, preaching and worshiping and serving. These things are excellent and they are essential for Christian growth, but none of them will bring long-term, sustainable, relational harmony between two people unless there is intentional, intrusive, disciple-making happening in their lives. Though some people may be more gifted at discipleship than others, Paul did not envision a two-tier system. The Lord does not exclude anyone within the body of Christ from the call of disciple, discipling others, and you should not exclude anyone from the body of Christ, especially yourself. 
regardless of where you are in your relationship with Christ, you can help another person in their relationship with Christ. It doesn't matter if you're 8 years old or if you're 80 years old. You can help someone, if you are a Christian, according to the gifting, according to the information that you presently have. My favorite verse that communicates this idea is found in John 4.29. It's a profound verse. It's about the woman at the well. After she had a, a meeting with Jesus, her life was transformed, and she went into the town, and, and she began to do evangelism and discipleship. Here's what this sentence says. Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. And then she asked this question in John 4, 29, can this be the Christ? What I would want you to see in this verse of Scripture is that she knew Jesus about a half a minute. And she began to tell others about Jesus according to the information that she had and the ability that she had. Here's the point. There is no magic level or tier within the Christian community where you are certified or you are officially released to disciple someone. As soon as you come into the body of Christ, you are a biblical counselor. You can be a Christian counselor, or the better term, again, the one that I like, is disciple maker. Regardless of your tenure within the Christian community, because there are no haves and there are no have-nots. Part of the tension regarding counseling hinges on the question of what is counseling. Counseling, in a nutshell, is sharing your Christ life and your biblical thoughts with another person. Now, the irony here is that every time you talk, you are counseling. Every time you talk, you're sharing yourself with someone, and thus you are affecting that person, either good for evil. You could say that you are a counselor all the time by everything that you do, everything that you don't do, your passivity, your quietness. And so the question, I mean, we really shouldn't be asking the question, am I a counselor or not? What we should be asking is, what kind of counselor are you? Your words, your actions, your attitudes, they're either helping someone experience transformation or you are hindering them in their Christ-like transformation or their need for Christ-like transformation. Here's the fundamental truth. You're counseling every day of your life. You are a counselor right now. You are an ambassador for Christ, exporting his vision, either in a good way or a bad way, and you're exporting it to other people, people who live around you, people that know you. And so the real issue here is about the kind of life you are exporting to others. One of the ways that I talk about this is I, I give a simple test to people who want to know if they are Christian disciple-makers. Someone comes to me and says, I don't think that I'm a disciple maker, or I don't think that I'm a biblical counselor, however they frame it. And I say, well, I have five questions for you, and I want you to answer these questions for me. Question number one, are you a Christian? Well, yes, I, I am a Christian. Great. Question number two, do you love God? Well, yeah, yeah, I love God. Well, number three, do you love others? Of course I do. Number four, do you love God's Word? Yes, I love God's Word. Number five, do you love to see others changed by God's Word? Well, yes, I do. 
I'm a Christian. I love God. I love others. I love His Word, and I want to see people change. I want to help people change. And if you answered yes, which, by the way, is the only right answer to all of my questions, well, guess what? You're a Christian counselor. Now, if you prefer the word discipler, that's fine. As I've said, I prefer that word as well. Another term that you could use is biblical friendship. You want your friendships to be biblical. And so you could say that I'm a, I'm a person who, who loves biblical friendships and I want to be a biblical friend. Well, then you are a biblical counselor. You're, you're a biblical disciple maker. You see, when you become a Christian, it's an automatic upgrade that God bakes into your job description after he regenerates you. As you think about your friends, begin asking the Lord to help you to, to look into their lives and to give you insight into how you can bring God's Word to bear on their lives. Remember, the essence of the gospel is going. Go. What is it about the word go that is confusing to you? The word go is a significant component of the Christian mission. As imitators of Christ, we want to do what he did. We want to go to others and help them. That is how we imitate Christ. You are a counselor. The title of this podcast is Take the Am I a Counselor Test? And as you take the test, the five questions that I ask toward the end of this podcast, hopefully you will say yes to all of them. And then with fear and trepidation, a little bit of trembling, a little bit of not knowing how this is going to go, I want you to step into those opportunities that are in front of you to go and make disciples with your friends. If you need some help doing this, as always, come to us. It would be a joy to answer you, answer your questions, and to serve you. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.